Sarnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25, cuts it inside. Perfect. 35, 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50, to the 40, to the 30, to the 20, to the 15, 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer, but they're not going to. Nicks is back. Throws it down. Field. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Episode 2 of the Red Cup Auburn Podcast. We're so excited to see you all again. And today, we're going to be talking a little bit about Pat Dye. Um, We're going to be going over a little bit more of the schedule, you know, and we were just blown away. We're so happy about all of the feedback we got from Episode 1. We love that. We want you guys to keep – just feel free to DM the page anytime, you know, talking about the podcast. Feel free to ask any questions that you want uh, us to speak about. But, you know, with all that being said, I think we're going to move on to – we're going to move on to the meat of the podcast. I'm joined here, as always, with my co-host, Wheeler. And um, we just want to kind of honor the late Pat Dye. Yeah, um, like Noble said, we were blown away by the response that we got from the last podcast and uh, all of the critiques that everybody's given. We really appreciate that so that we can make the podcast the best podcast. Hopefully by football season, it'll be up and running. It'll be kind of more where our vision is for it. Um, But like like Noble said, obviously since uh, the last podcast, Coach Dye um, passed away. Uh, so I know that it, he was in the hospital for a while and was kind of sick. Um, so we were really sad to see that he had gone. And for those of the listeners that may be a little bit younger and don't ver- know very much about Coach Dye, um, he was the coach at Auburn from 1981 to 1992. And he actually is third on the all-time list for Auburn wins with 99 wins, 39 losses, and four ties. He was the SEC Coach of the Year in 83, 87, and 88 and won four SEC championships. But I think the thing that really endeared Coach Dye with the Auburn family was not just his stats of his wins and his accomplishments on the field, but really what he did for Auburn off the field too because he really took Auburn from just a small school that had been good at football in the 50s and really brought us into the modern era that is uh, Auburn football. Um, one of the biggest things that he did that – definitely should not be overlooked is bringing the Iron Bowl to Auburn. Uh, Back in the 80s, the game was played at Legion Field, and Alabama had repeatedly said that they would never play the Iron Bowl in Auburn. So it was a really big deal for the politics in the state of Alabama um, and for Auburn as a university to kind of show that we were on the same level as Alabama for them to come to Auburn and play. Um, I know one of the quotes that's been passed around uh, since his passing this week was, Right when he got hired, Auburn was on a nine-game losing streak to Alabama. One of the members of the press asked him how long it would take for him to get a team that could beat Alabama, and he just responded with 60 minutes. And that was really what Coach Dye brought to Auburn. He brought a sense of pride and a sense of if if the guys on the team wanted to work hard enough, they had the talent to compete with Alabama. And he really brought Auburn into the modern era. being the athletic director and doing so much for all of the different sports and not just for football. So Auburn definitely lost a great man 
uh, who really developed a lot of players in his time at Auburn and did a lot for the city and the university while he was alive. Yeah, um, another thing I wanted to add was a lot of people, you know, not everyone knows this, but Pat Dye, one of his first uh, coaching jobs was being an assistant coach at the at the University of Alabama under Bear Bryant. And when Auburn had offered Pat Dye the job, I saw a quote from the – it was a conversation. And Bear Bryant told Pat Dye, you know, that he shouldn't take the Auburn job because – Bryant knew that he was he was kind of on his way out and he wasn't going to be coaching for much longer and he wanted Die to be coaching in Alabama, so I thought that was interesting. You know, the Bear really wanted Pat to be uh, to continue on at his legacy, but Pat always said he wanted to build a program, and that's exactly what he did at Auburn. Um, Another crazy thing that I think is is so funny. So the guy played at he played at Georgia. Georgia yeah, he was a two time All American at Georgia. And then he's a big-time coach at Alabama that the Bear wants to have as his successor. Mm-hmm. And then he comes to Auburn, the, rival, to, the biggest rival of his entire life, and becomes the epitome of an Auburn man. I think that that really – I don't know that it's solely on him, but so many people talk about, you know, if you go to Auburn, you'll fall in love with it. Like, there's nothing you can do about it. And mm-hmm. I think that Coach Dye really showed, like, a lot of people on the outside that there's just something special about Auburn. Um, that even if you come from that background, if you go to Auburn, you can't help but fall in love with it. It's just such a great place. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I, I love that. Um, you know, he always said when he got here, he wanted to to reinstill the fear that uh, opposing players felt when they saw those blue jerseys. And I loved that. And uh, in a conversation with Bear Bryant, he told he told the Bear that he wanted the Iron Bowl to come to Auburn. And Bear Bryant laughed at him and said, that'll never happen, especially not when I'm coaching. And Pat replied, you know, well, you're not going to be coaching forever. And the, uh, the, the contract for the Iron Bowl in Birmingham and Tuscaloosa, you know, all that, it ended in 1988. And he, uh, Pat Dye said, well, then, in 1989, that's going to be when it's in Jordan here. And sure enough, that's when it was. Um, and that was just a monumental thing for, for Auburn and the, the school and the culture and all that. That was just a huge, huge thing. Um, yeah, I've yeah. loved hearing all of his former players, you know, mm-hmm. that have been on different, you know, newspapers and different uh, radio shows this week just talking about what he meant to them. And I think that's something that we don't need to overlook either. I mean, he really developed a lot of guys who wouldn't have normal. I mean, even looking at Bo Jackson being one of the few guys that was able to attend his funeral this week, he left a big impact on people more the more so than just what he did on the football field. But yeah, I mean, he did a lot for Auburn as a school and getting us on the same playing field as Alabama. Absolutely. Pat Dye will go down as an all time great. And I was really glad, you know, a couple months ago they approved the um the building of statues for Shug Jordan, Cliff Hare, and uh, Pat Dye. I was just so glad, you know, at least he knows, you know, before he died that he will be forever immortalized uh, on campus. So I love that. That's a great thing. We should always uh, hold Pat Dye in regards as one of the best uh, best pioneers for Auburn athletics ever. So definitely. Um, with all that said, we're going to move on to the next segment of this podcast where we'll break down a little bit more of the schedule. You know, we started, we did the first five weeks uh, last podcast, um, and today we're going to start with week six. That is the October 10th matchup 
at Sanford Stadium against the Georgia Bulldogs. Wheeler, do you want to kick us off breaking this one down? Yeah, I'm really glad that we're kind of on the back half of the schedule now and we have less of the games like last week, like our Alcorn State and us, Southern Miss breakdowns. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, but I'm really excited about this Georgia game. Um, first of all, I'm really excited to see, like, when we get to this game, what the vibe is because this game has, you know, always been at the end of the year. Um, and I don't know why, but I feel like Georgia games are always the coldest games in the entire mm-hmm. world. Um, I know – me and you went to the Georgia game last time it was in Athens, and that might have been one of the coldest nights of my entire life. Mm. We were literally sitting on the top row. Like, there was no other thing but a concrete wall behind us in the end of the stadium. It was and, so cold. And we got marked at all the way out of the stadium because Georgia fans are – Different breed, man. No. Georgia fans – I think Georgia fans might be worse than Alabama fans. I just don't have to encounter them as much. Therefore, I don't despise them as much. Yeah, uh, I was talking to I, I was talking to a couple of Georgia fans, uh, I feel or Auburn fans from the state of Georgia, and I feel like that's a that's a common thing. You know, Auburn fans that live in the state of Georgia a lot of the time hate Georgia more than Alabama, which is just it's a different experience for me because I encounter I'm from the state of Alabama. I encounter Alabama fans all the time, and I just cannot stand the University of Alabama. But I will say, I think that Georgia fans can be worse when Georgia is really good. You know. Like in 2017 and 2018, they were they were terrible. I mean, it's just – they're a different breed, man. It's the barking. But yeah. uh, there's been a lot of barking at Auburn fans in recent years um, since Gus has been there. Gus, for some odd reason, has really had a tough time bringing his teams to Athens because um, his last three games – well, I guess his only three games that he's been the head coach uh, going to Georgia, Auburn lost 34-7. to then we lost 13 to 7. No, do you remember that game when I we uh, had Sean White and he's like playing through the pain, giving it his all, you know, as typical? But I, did we get a first down in like the second half? I, I, I don't, that right? I think we, I, I don't think we did. I was talking to people about this a little earlier. Um, and the crazy thing is that the defense played absolutely out of their minds and only allowed six points. That was the crazy thing, you know, Sean White threw that pick six right right at the beginning of the third quarter. And that was just a game that, you know, we, we should have won. We felt good about it going in, and it was just Sean White just wasn't healthy, and that's what lost it for us. Yeah, it was literally one of the most brutal games to watch. Absolutely. Um, that, was, that was tough. And then, of course, uh, last time Auburn went up to Athens was that freezing cold 27-10 to 10 game. And uh, we actually hung in there pretty well. I feel mm-hmm. like in the first half and then in the second half, things just slipped away. Um, I think they even ran – did they run a fake field goal in the fourth quarter? Am they I did. That right? They did, and they didn't get it, yeah. Yeah, they, that, that was a tough game, and that was – I think that game, honestly, was where a lot of Auburn fans fell off of the Jarrett Stidham bandwagon. Absolutely. I think people were kind of off of Jarrett after that Tennessee game, but that Georgia game, you know, there's that shot of him when he's on the sidelines just cutting up and laughing in the fourth quarter as Auburn's losing by 17 mm-hmm. to their rivals. And so that was really tough. Um, but, yeah, the, the Georgia series has been weird. It was traditionally known for being a really tight series, but uh, since the 2010 season, we've only won twice. So we won in 2013, obviously, with the Ricardo Lewis tip game, which was a really good game. I was watching that earlier today. Mm -hmm. I've been missing sports really bad, so I had my 
YouTube app pulled up on my TV, and I was rewatching that game. And people, you really forget what a great game it was before yeah. the tip because you just get distracted by the tip. So I'm about halfway through that game rewatching that. Well, and another thing, another thing that people don't like a lot of the time, people don't really think about this is you know the tip. You know, a lot of people think you know it was over at the tip, but you know Georgia got the ball back and they drove down to like our like they they got into our red zone, you know. Like they they almost came back all the way and beat us, if not for that brutal D Ford hit on Aaron Murray at the on the last play of the game that just put the nail in the coffin. Yeah, and it almost put the nail in the coffin of Aaron Murray's career, mm-hmm. which we found out later when he said that that game almost made him quit football. Yeah. Which, on one hand, I feel bad for the guy as a person, but on the other hand, he's a dog. The gladiator side of football, I think that was kind of cool that it was like. Nice job, like Auburn. Like that's some tough, yeah. no hard nosed defense that you want to see, and really what we've come to expect from the Auburn defenses mm-hmm. recently. Absolutely. I mean, you look at KJ Britt. I mean, he looks like a guy who would love to have somebody say, "I almost quit football because I got hit by you." You know, I can I can say for sure if I got hit by KJ Britt, I would for sure quit football. Yeah, one hundred percent. He was in one of my classes, and uh, who he <laughs> super nice guy off the field. Love him to death, but, you know, I wouldn't want to run up the middle on the guy. We'll just put it that way. Absolutely not. Um, so, yeah, the last time that Auburn won up in Athens was that classic 2005 game. Uh, I'm sure people have seen the highlights uh, where Devin Aroma should do. Had a huge run at the end of the game. I think it was a third or fourth and like it was a fourth. Yeah, it was like like a fourth and fourth and twelve, I believe. Yeah, fourth and twelve, and Brandon Cox throws a crossing pattern, and Aroma Shadu takes it to like the what two yard line, gets stripped, and Courtney Taylor falls on it in the end zone. Mm -hmm. It was a wild play. Auburn wins by one point. That is a classic game. If you're looking for your to itch your you know sports scratch, go back and watch the 05 uh, Auburn UGA game on YouTube. Because that was truly a classic. It was back and forth, 31 to 30. That was a great game um, with Aroma Shadu and Courtney Taylor at the end of it. Also, we have, uh, we've got the highlights on the page. You can go to our IGTV section and scroll down. I posted it a couple, uh, couple months ago. So if you just want to get kind of the, the highlights of the Auburn side of it, you can, you can go watch it there. There you go. While you're listening to the podcast, you can be looking at the Instagram. You can slide in a DM or something with a question. <laughs> Nice plug. Shameless plug right there. I love it. Shameless (laughs) plug. Okay, so more on the actual game, less about the history of the series. Um, So Georgia last year went 12-2. Their two losses, the first one was that double overtime thriller where old goggles kept missing kicks uncharacteristically against South Carolina, which was the most random upset ever. Mm -hmm. Um, But I loved it. I was so excited when I saw them losing. I was too. Um, and then that beautiful SEC championship game. I know that we are Auburn fans, but I have to admit, I was kind of an LSU fan at the end of the season because I just loved watching them kill Georgia. It just really was very satisfying to see Joe Burrow run around and just launch it on that defense that had been so uh, solid the entire year. Um, so those were their two losses. They were able to pull out a win over Baylor in the bowl game. Um, obviously their team last year was known for their defense. Um, they really struggled on offense. Uh, the Auburn game last year, as we know, it was a really tight game. Auburn came back in the fourth quarter. I really believed we were going to win the game as we were driving. I did and, too, uh, yeah. Then uh, Bo just couldn't connect with uh, Harold Joyner on that one play, um, and that kind of 
that was the nail in the coffin for the game. But I, I was really encouraged by what we saw in that game, and that really gave me hope going into the Iron Bowl that Bo was going to be able to turn it on, you know, what he did in the second half and really what the entire offense did in the second half. And I think, you know, Harold obviously wasn't able to make the play, wasn't a great throw, probably should have been caught. It was really on both guys. They both were giving it their all. But I think Harold may be a breakout player this year. What do you think? I definitely think so. I think it'll be interesting. You know, that running back room is just really, really crowded. Um, you know, I haven't from, – from what I've heard, I've heard that Harold has a bit of a, a fumbling problem, and that's the main reason why he didn't get as many carries. But I do think last year, for sure, I think that Harold was the best uh, back out of the backfield and catching passes, making guys miss, you know, being more like a receiver. Um, I definitely think that him and Tank Bigsby will both be the two kind of best guys at doing that. So hopefully we can see some, you know, we can see some different sets where we, you know, throw it to a lot of backs out of the backfield and have a lot of options for Bo to throw it to. But I definitely think he could he could make an impact. Yeah, I'm excited to see if he ends up playing some receiver, not as a full-time receiver, but I can really see him being utilized more. I think every time he's on the field, he's just electric. I think you got to give him the carries and you got, I mean, Booby had problems with fumbling too, and we still rode with him. And I'm like, if you're going to go with somebody, why are you going to give the guy, you know, who has a banged up knee all these carries who fumbles when mm-hmm. you've got this guy who can, he's got great hands, great running ability. I really, th- I think this is going to be a breakout year for Harold um, playing slot, almost in the Stanton Truett role, but mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more playing time so that hopefully he doesn't transfer. Transfer. Yeah. Um, anyway, back on to Georgia. Um, a lot of publications are predicting them second in the East. I personally think that they're better than Florida this year. So the official Wheeler Red Cup Auburn prediction for Georgia is going to be first in the SEC East playing uh, in the SEC championship. Before they get to Auburn, they will have really had two tests, um, potentially only one test depending on. So they're playing Virginia in the first game and the Chick-fil-A kickoff game, uh, Lord willing and the Creek Don't Rise, up in Atlanta. And then they're going to be playing Alabama uh, in Tuscaloosa. So I think we're going to have a good idea going into the game of how their uh, Wake Forest transfer Jamie Newman will be and kind of what their defense will be like this year. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that that Alabama game is definitely one to watch very intently because – and honestly, the Virginia game could be interesting to watch too because Virginia in the past couple years has had a pretty strong defense. But, you know, Jamie Newman struggled – a lot when he played a solid defense last year you know obviously a lot of guys know what he did against Clemson which was like 41 yards six completions two interceptions not a good game at all Uh, against Syracuse he had a similar stat line when he got benched for Sam Hartman oh yeah everybody knows Syracuse is just a yeah just a big time defense exactly but so I think that'll be interesting because you know we all know Alabama's gonna have a good defense so I think it'll be interesting if Jamie Newman you know kind of has a terrible game against Alabama then I think that our defense should definitely keep him at bay now if he goes off and he torches Alabama or has a productive game then I think that we should be a little bit more worried but I'd I think this is a very difficult game to try and analyze because of Jamie Newman is just such a wild card for this one. I agree. Um, The thing that kind of worries me about this game is so their defense last season didn't give up more than 17 points except for Joe Burr against Joe Burrow and that great LSU offense in the SEC championship. They do lose five defensive starters, but their defense 
their entire defense is kind of similar to how Auburn plays defensive line, where they're just stacked super deep, and it's just a constant rotation. So, yeah, you lose five starters, but, like, the guys that are starting now probably got just as many reps as the other guys, Mm -hmm. and we all know Georgia recruiting. I mean, they're going to have some good guys on defense, um, and they even – like from last year, I know that they had two guys that were freshman All-Americans, so they're just going to be better. Um, so I'm not expecting the Georgia defense to take much of a step back. I'm not and either. And they've gotten better every single year under Kirby Smart. So I'm really – I'll be interested to see what Gus does to, ch- to try and shake things up because I don't foresee Auburn being able to just run their normal playbook. I think you're going to have to bring a little bit of razzle-dazzle um, to get this defense off of their game because they're going to be so strong. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, hopefully, we won't have to have used too much of our offense. You know, we don't really know. You know, we've got UNC and Kentucky are our biggest games before that one. So, hopefully, you know, we'll be able to run kind of like not our not necessarily our base offense, but hopefully we don't have to just open up the playbook just to beat North Carolina and Kentucky. So, hopefully, we've still got a couple cards that we can, you know, keep close to our, keep close to our chest and we can – there's some surprises out there for Georgia for sure yeah so uh I know we did last week we didn't give score predictions so kind of our plan going forward with the podcast is we're going to go over uh the next couple games and then we're going to go over uh our last three or four games next week and then in our uh fourth week of the podcast we're going to go back through the schedule and we're going to give score predictions in a bowl game so we're not going to give our score predictions quite yet on what we think. We're just going to break down kind of what's happening. So that's all that uh, the breakdown that I have for Georgia. Um, so Saturday, October 10th, Sanford Stadium, Athens, Georgia. Hopefully people are able to go to the game. If they are, I would love to go back. It was really cool stadium. Uh, I don't know, for the people that haven't been before, like Jordan Hare, uh, it sits on top of the ground. Like, a, it's the field is at ground level, and then the stadium's built up. Sanford Stadium is literally in a hole in the ground. Mm-hmm. So, when you're sitting in the upper deck, you're not, like, above the street. You're, like, at street level, and, like, the field is, like, down in this hole. So, it's kind of a weird vibe when you go there, but it's also really cool to see different stadiums. And also, For- if you plan on going to that game, bring your walking shoes because, I mean, it's like a mountain their entire campus is just hilly and crazy so for sure all right for sure that has nothing to do with football just fun tips of a guy that's been to Sanford Stadium all right Noble so next game Saturday October 17th the fighting Jimbo Fisher Texas A&M Aggies come to town what do you have uh this is going to be an interesting game because you know we've been hearing for the past honestly for the past three years the hype going into texas a&m and the hype going into that matchup the hype going into texas a&m might compete to be a sleeper in the east you know whatever but they just really haven't haven't really gotten over that hump quite yet um this year i think it's kind of a make or break year for them i think that they really have to succeed really well in this one um, the biggest, the biggest one is Kellen Mond. Seeing if Kellen Mond can make the steps from his junior season to his senior season that he really had. I mean, Kellen Mond really has not made that much improvement from his freshman season to his senior se- or to his junior season. Um, if Kellen Mond is still playing at the level he was playing his junior season, we should definitely win this game at home. Now it depends on how you know how much he improves, how much that defense uh, can just kind of fix some of their holes that they had. 
An interesting thing that I see in this matchup is Isaiah Spiller. He was a true freshman running back, ran for 946 yards and 10 touchdowns. Um, I think that's, that he's a big – I think he's a big-time back. I think that, you know, going into his sophomore season, I think he'll bulk up a little bit. I think that he's going to be a, uh, a tough guy to stop. So, I definitely think that their offense is going to be the strength of their team. Um, I mean, the, their offense traditionally has been pretty good. So, we just got to stop their offense. They should, they should most likely be undefeated going into this game. They don't have that much of a schedule. This could definitely be a top 15 matchup. Yeah, um, I think their schedule – I mean, they are playing literally nobody in the month of September. And I think they have, like, Arkansas and Mississippi State as their two SEC games going into the Auburn game. So, I definitely foresee them being undefeated going into this game. I see potential for Auburn being undefeated going into this game. And I agree with you. Um, Since Jimbo's been there, obviously Jimbo is an offensive coach. He was the offensive coordinator. Uh at Auburn from 93 to 98. Um, and so he's definitely had an offensive mind. I don't see their defense getting that much better. Um, no one's talking about their defense. Their defense, honestly, last year was just trash. Um, but I don't know if I agree with Kellen Mond. I think Kellen's going to have a breakout year this year. Um, he's imp- he, imp- he improved from his freshman year to his sophomore year, had a little bit of a dip last year. But I'm thinking this year, so they bring back most of their offensive line. And when you bring back your offensive line, you magically make a quarterback look a whole lot better. Mm -hmm. Um, Their weapons on offense, they don't really – receiver-wise, they don't have that star guy. They don't have that go-to guy. So I do foresee that being a little bit of an issue. But all the guys that they have are really solid. So they have a lot of guys that are like kind of mid to late NFL draft picks or like, you know, free agents, but they don't have that guy that's like, oh my goodness, you know, Jerry Judy, Seth Williams, first round kind of guy. So I'll be interested to see. I think that Auburn's defense matches up really well. I think that the strength of our defense this year is going to be run stopping. And I think that Texas A&M is going to try and do more running than they are passing just because of the receiver situation. Um, And I think Kellen Mond, you know, his his strength really has been running the read option, and he hasn't done it very much. I don't know why Jimbo hasn't wanted to run the read option. I don't know if he's afraid of Kellen getting hurt. But I think this is going to be the year they're going to have a couple of easy games to get uh, into their offense and stuff. I really see them running a lot of read option. Uh, like you said, Isaiah Spiller at running back. They have a really deep running back room, similar to Auburn. Um, a little bit more proven than Auburn's running backs, but still pretty highly recruited Texas guys. So I think that this is a good matchup for Auburn, but I also think that Texas a and is going to be really good. And then just to bring in the irrelevant uh, series history that I brought up during the Georgia game, Auburn has never beaten Texas A&M at home. We've had some close calls. Uh, we had that one – uh, what year was it? that we beat There was once. the blocked field goal. Was it 2015? where there was the blocked field goal that they returned for a touchdown. I believe that was 2014. Ended on a Reese Dismukes. Did he fumble or did he have an illegal snap? It was a fumble. It was a fumble, yeah. So that was tough. Obviously, everyone remembers the bludgeoning that happened in 2012 when they called the dogs off, what, in like the first quarter because they were up 28-0 to zero in the first quarter. I believe the final score to that one was 63-21. to 21. Yeah, and it, I mean, it wasn't even that close. 
Yeah. I think Auburn scored all 21 points in the fourth quarter when they had their scrub – when Texas A&M had their scrubs in. I believe uh, so. So, some blowout losses, but also the past couple Auburn A&M games in Auburn have just been really rip your heart out uh, for Auburn. So, I foresee this being another close game, kind of like the Dismukes game. Um, I think you posted highlights from another one in one of your uh, big hit segments that you did on the page the other day. Um, uh, not yet, not yet. That uh, that one, that one was planning on being the next one, the 2016 hit. But yeah, okay, yeah. So 2016 was another heartbreaker. Um, but yeah, I I foresee this being a really tight game. But I think it's a good matchup, defense of Auburn and offense of Texas A&M. Yeah, uh, I think so too. I think that this will be an interesting thing because Kellen Mond. In the past, you know, couple years, Texas A&M has had a game early where it's a tough game, you know. Like in 2017, it was UCLA, which was not, you know, supposed to be a really tight game, but they ended up blowing a big lead. That kind of took the wind out of their sails for the rest of that season. And they've played Clemson the past two years. You know, this year they don't really have that really good team that they play. You know, the, the, the best teams on their roster going into – or at the beginning of the season, are Mississippi State and Arkansas. Granted, Texas, I don't know what it is, but Texas A&M in the past couple of years has always played close against Arkansas, which doesn't make any sense because if, if you look at it from a talent perspective, Texas A&M is miles ahead of Arkansas. But the past couple of years, man, it's just been they've, – they've had some close games. So I think that could be an interesting game to watch, you know, it's going to be at a neutral site. I, I think that could be an interesting one to, uh, to monitor. Um, but yeah, they're coming into Auburn for the first time since 2018, which was, uh, the first win for Auburn, uh, at home. That was the game where, you know, Auburn came back at one point, I believe Texas A&M had a 99.6 chance of winning and Auburn came back thanks to two big time catches by Seth Williams and a big time interception from Noah Igbenogany. Um, so that'll be, that'll be interesting. Kellen Mond really, he really, kind of struggles in these big-time road environments. You know, Texas A&M as a whole usually doesn't play super well in the big-time road environments in recent years. So I think it'll be interesting to see how this game works out. But I think we're going to learn a little bit about A&M uh, a little bit closer to the matchup when they play Arkansas and Mississippi State. Yeah, I agree with that. Because other than those, they've got Abilene Christian, North Texas, Colorado, and Fresno State. Yeah. So I think those SEC games will give us a little bit of a clue, but Auburn's definitely going to be the first big time big test, test that yeah. we see kind of what their offense and their defense has got. I agree. So then after this Texas A&M game, Auburn goes into a bye week, which I think will be really good for us. Um, you know, with back-to-back games against most likely ranked opponents in Georgia and Texas A&M, I think this bye week will be useful for our guys to just kind of, you know, heal up, get their bumps and bruises healed and all that, um, and just kind of focus in on the, the, second, the second gauntlet of the season. Um, so after this, we're going to go to Starkville, Mississippi, and take on the Mississippi State Bulldogs. An interesting note, Gus Malzahn at Auburn has never lost coming out of a bye week. So I think that that really does help. I, I do think – I think that this Mississippi State game should be a win simply because of the bye week. I think that, you know, Gus is great at getting – when he has time, he can get his guys prepared for these type of games. So I think that will be interesting. And also, if you look at Mississippi State's schedule before this game, 
They've got Texas A&M, Alabama. They've got Texas A&M, then a bye week, Alabama, LSU, Auburn. So they're going to be playing, two, I mean, arguably the two best teams in the SEC West and then play Auburn. I mean, that that's that's tough, especially for a, for a first-year head coach uh, at that school in the SEC. Uh, Mississippi State's definitely going to have their hands full this year. And I foresee Mississippi State being super one-dimensional. Obviously, Mike Leach's offense, I mean, he's known for being one-dimensional, and he says, I'm going to sling the ball around, and if you stop it, great, but I don't think you can. Um, and I think having LSU and Alabama the weeks before, Auburn will have a blueprint. They'll have, it, they'll have two weeks to prepare. I really see Auburn's defense being really successful against the air raid offense. I know when uh, Leach came down to Auburn in Gus's first year, it was Gus's first game. Mm-hmm. Um, and he actually, you know, the defense was not great in 2013, but they actually played pretty well against Washington State. So I think that Gus is going to have a good game plan ready. Kevin Steele, good game plan. I think this is going to be a pretty easy win for Auburn. Uh, last year, you know, Mississippi State was six and seven overall and three and five in conference. That's kind of hard to put into context, you know, having a new coach. Um, but yeah, I just I don't see Mike Leach's offense working very well this year because it's almost like when Auburn tried to go to the I formation offense with Scott Leffler after having the spread offense. You can't just flip offenses overnight, or even Georgia Tech, you know, going to the spread offense mm-hmm. this year from the triple option. If you've got guys for one system. And then you go – I mean, Joe Moorhead, he's a Penn State guy. He wanted to run the football. He wanted to be tough and physical. Mike Leach does not want to be tough and physical. He wants to spread you out as much as he can. He wants to sling it around. He brought in six quarterbacks this year. So they've got six scholarships sitting in their quarterback room. You're only going to play one of those guys, maybe two if you're like Spurrier, and you just bench guys. Now, I don't see Leach having a good season this year. I don't think Mississippi State is going to be very good at all. I think they may be able to upset somebody – somewhere along the way but coming out of the bye week I just have a really tough time seeing Mississippi State pulling an upset against Auburn I agree with that as well I think that the coolest matchup that I'm excited to see this year is Kylan Hill I thought it was very interesting that he came back for his senior season with the head coaching change in a system that is not really running back friendly for those who don't know Kylan Hill led the SEC in rushing yards last season um Mike Leach does not like to run the football like his running backs are just kind of like if you can't catch the ball out of the backfield you're not going to play he does not like to run the ball so Kylan Hill is definitely going to have to adapt to that and he's going to have to try it and you know catch passes out of the backfield I think that helps Auburn since we have Owen Papo who is one of the more athletic linebackers in the SEC especially with speed I think that'll be a good thing you should definitely expect Owen Papo to be covering Kylan Hill on defense a lot in that matchup I think that'll be a big thing if Kylan Hill because Kylan Hill in my opinion is their best offensive player and I think that I I believe that Kylan Hill will be one of their leading receivers going into this game so I think that Owen Papo needs to have a really big game but I do not think Auburn should have a whole lot of trouble with this matchup yeah and I think Owen definitely will have the opportunity to step up because that was kind of an issue that the Auburn linebackers had last year that became a little more apparent as the season went on was that they were really struggling to cover guys out of the backfield. Great at run support. They're really actually good when they dropped into zone coverage covering, you know, tight ends and receivers that were coming across the middle. But covering that back out of the backfield is definitely going to be an area that they need to improve in. And I think that Owen 
having a year under his belt, he'll be a lot better at knowing the system. Because he was on it, you could tell he was so fast. He was very physical, but it felt like sometimes he wasn't quite as sure of himself of where to go. Mm-hmm. Like he got there eventually, but like guys that have been in the system for a while, you know, they were a lot more sure of themselves about where they were going and where they were attacking. And I really expect Owen to grow into his own there and be a lockdown cover of a running back out of the backfield, like you said. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that having another year of being in the system and with also a guy like K.J. Britt being right next to him, I think that's a big thing. You know, I I personally think that Travis Williams is one of the best linebacker coaches in the country. You know, I mean, our linebackers for the past couple years have been a strong suit of the team. And I think that K.J. Britt is one of the best guys that you want as a leader. And especially I think that he can teach Owen Papo that, you know, just kind of hard-hitting SEC kind of linebacker uh, mentality, you know, so that Owen can really develop that game of his run-stopping and still be the athletic monster that he is. Uh, and one more note that I want to throw out there for Mississippi State, they returned their leading tackler in Earl Thompson. He, uh, he was their starting linebacker as a freshman in 2018 when they had one of the best defenses in the country, leading tackler this year. He'll be he'll be probably the the heart and soul of their defense. It's it's tough because Auburn this year plays a lot of teams with experienced middle linebackers, and middle linebackers are kind of kind of the general of most defenses. So I think that'll be interesting. We're gonna we're gonna face a lot of defenses that are more put together, especially in the middle there. Um, so definitely, our running backs are gonna have to be able to find. They're gonna be able to find their holes. And the offensive line's got to be able to open those holes up. I think that with experienced middle linebackers, the biggest thing is you just have to play the best, you know? Like, experienced middle linebackers are going to exploit the mistakes that a running back will make. So that just puts even more pressure on our young running back group. Uh, But, yeah, I definitely think we should be able to beat the Bulldogs in this matchup. So, whether is there anything else you wanna you wanna say? Uh, we're real excited. We have lots of uh, cool segments and content coming up in the next couple of weeks, and I'm excited to see uh, as we continue to grow listeners and get more questions uh, where the podcast goes. Yep. Uh, so next week the the focus for the football will be breaking down the uh, the rest of the schedule. So that'll be against Arkansas, UMass, LSU, and Alabama. So I'm excited to do that. Uh, thank you guys all for listening and leave us a, leave us a DM, give us some feedback. Thank you.